Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's time. Time for stimulating talk. Time for thought-provoking conversation. Time for the Lisa Wexler Show on WICC 600 AM and 1073 FM. Turn on your brain and get the real scoop on today's topics and events. Here is Lisa Wexler. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show today. It's the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. I Are, are you getting excited about Thanksgiving? 203-333-9422 is our number. We have a couple of interesting guests coming on the show for us today. We're going to learn a little bit about butterflies and nature from... Uh, a gentleman who lives in Reading and has a meadow, and he exhibits his meadow, and he is a big butterfly maven. So he's coming on today to do a little bit of spring, a little bit of nature in the middle of the winter. Although it doesn't really feel terribly wintry, let's be honest about it. And then we're also going to have on a gal who has the first cat cafe uh, in Connecticut. It's the first of its kind in the state where you can go and not only enjoy the company of cats as you eat, but probably adopt one or two on the way out. So, you know, we're just doing a little bit of an offbeat kind of a situation today. Tomorrow is a heavy-hitting show. You know who we're having on tomorrow? Andrew, you know who we're having on tomorrow? We're having on Abe Foxman. Abe Foxman, who was probably by far the most prestigious, long-standing director of the Anti-Defamation League. An extraordinary man. Uh, a Holocaust survivor himself. A child who was hidden by a Christian family whose parents then had to wage a major legal battle in order to get him back after the war, which incidentally was also the front page story I saw yesterday in the Times about the same thing happening in this country with an Afghan family that is trying to get uh, its child back from a U.S. Marine that adopted it, who should be right, and I, I think... In most cases, it's probably pretty clear that the family that had to give up their child because of wartime would be wanting to get their child back when they could. But in any event, Abe Foxman will be on with us tomorrow. He's really a giant. He's a giant intellect. He's a giant humanitarian. And we're also going to have on uh, the uh, James O'Keefe, the founder of Project Veritas. He's coming on tomorrow. So that'll be a really interesting conversation, too. So tomorrow's a lot of heavy hitters on the Lisa Wexler Show. But today, <clears throat> it's the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, and we're, we're having a little bit more of a, a nature kind of moment on the show, a caring about our nature and wildlife around us and how 
individuals in our community. Individuals in our community make a difference with their footprint on this planet by being aware of and being stewards of our animals and our environment and our insects and our trees. You know, it's all part of the bigger conversation about what each one of us can do every single day to make this world a better place. Tikkun olam to repair it. 203-333-9422 is our number. So let's talk a little bit about some breaking news in the news, some stories that we hadn't gotten to yet. I don't know if you... Uh, We're paying that close attention. But Merrick Garland appointed a special prosecutor for uh, to look into Donald Trump, the Mar-a-Lago document situation and January 6th, 7th situation. He appointed a, a fellow by the name of Jack Smith, and he is getting Merrick Garland is getting roundly criticized by liberals and conservatives and people in between. He's getting criticized For, number one, not doing the job that he's supposed to do. In other words, delegating out his job. He's getting criticized for that. And the other thing that he's getting criticized for is that while he hopes that this is an expeditious proceeding, the reality that we know about appointing a special prosecutor is that even though they're only focused on that one thing, it tends to be the opposite of expeditious. Do you remember how long Ken Starr took? Do you remember how involved and how expensive and how long and ultimately how futile his entire investigation was? 203-333-9422. Okay, we've got a new new little uh, software program here, so I'm curious to see how it works in terms of your calls, but you're welcome to call in. So we'll see how that develops. Um, In news, more locally, Westport Journal reporting that several people spoke last night at the PNC's online meeting. This was after the in-person meeting that they'd had the week before. Many identified themselves as investors. We're talking about the development of the Saugatuck neighborhood, uh, 24 different properties that have been identified with a zoning text amendment that will forever change what people are allowed to build in that area. And it's a very, very serious overhaul of an entire neighborhood of Westport. And there are some dissenting opinions on the Planning and Zoning Commission. But from what it looks like in terms of the reports coming out of the Westport Journal, it looks as if a majority of the PNZ is going to vote to approve it in some form or another. Although there are a lot of dissents from people that say it's too big, it's too much, it's not needed. The Hamlet developers have agreed to set aside 25% of the proposed housing units as, quote, affordable in compliance with state criteria. Uh, Joseph alone, a local architect, said that he'd been before planning boards in three states. You have a lot more power than you think you do, he said. The idea that you are going to make a decision based on potential fear of tomorrow, I don't think is real leadership. I think you really need to give this project a very severe analysis. Yeah, Mr. Vallone has been an architect for many, many years. And I understand exactly what he's saying because one of the things that the Planning and Zoning Chairwoman Danielle Dobin has been saying is that unless uh, Westport goes ahead and approves this, then there are um, housing applications that may come before the P&Z that may be more intrusive may be more ugly, may be more dense, may be more objectionable. And one of her arguments has been that to head those off, she should welcome or be more amenable to the application in front of her right now uh, 
in order to fend off a potential worse application that she fears she might have to say yes to because of the 830G statute. Mr. Valone, a local architect, differs, and he doesn't think that that's the right approach. Uh, Dobin thanked everyone for attending the hearing. She called the plan, quote, one of the most consequential applications for Westport since I've lived here. And she's lived in town about 10, 11 years. In any event, there's a workshop. It will begin December 5th at 7 p.m. It does not say here whether or not the workshop is public. 203-333-9422. We have, I can't see who we have on. It's a different software. Let me take a look at it. 203-333-9422. Andrew, who do we have on the air? All right, we're figuring it out. In any event, you can call me. You can call me at 203-333-9422. Anthony from Westport. Hi, Anthony. Welcome. What do you think about this Hamlet development in Nor- in uh, Westport to be that is well, being proposed? you know, I've talked to a lot of people about it. I personally, it's to me, it's scary because, as you know, um, they could end up doing a lot of things. I mean, these are not set in stone what these plans are, and I'm not crazy about the high buildings and ruining the feeling here. Mm-hmm. You know, and besides, as you know, the traffic already is the horrendous. traffic is insane. It's 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 astonishing to me that there isn't more conversation about the traffic. You're talking about a tiny artery that has to fill into a major commuting center of the town. Yeah, I, I'm really. I don't. I don't seem to be for. I, I hope. Well, anyway, I hope things are worked out for the best all around. I could see doing a few things there, and I understand that. And something, you know. But I wanted to mention only because you brought. I mean, you brought it up, and I'm not sure. But I, I read that the reason it was uh, for Trump was turned over to special counsel was because now that Trump is running, the Justice Department doesn't interfere with someone running. Did you? Did I read that right? Well, you know, that is, okay, so that's yet another reason why uh, I think that Merrick Garland didn't personally want to be heading this up because he would be accused of having the Justice Department be too involved in a political campaign. Yeah, that's a reality. I don't know that that's a law, but that's certainly a policy. It's a wise policy. But, you know, there were the past two years where he didn't do anything. No, and you know, and Donald Trump had not announced that he was running. He's being, you know, he's in a very difficult position, Merrick Garland, because no matter what he does, I mean, even when the FBI came in and saw these documents, all of a sudden there were these conspiracy theories and ugly threats against the FBI, Mm -hmm. and all they were doing Mm -hmm. was doing their job the way they always do their job. They get a, they get a, a probable cause kind of a. Um, a warrant that they think that a law has been broken. They go to a judge. They do their procedure. The judge agrees or doesn't agree. If the judge agrees, they have their warrant. They execute their warrant. They're supposed to execute it professionally and not brutally and not unkindly. Uh, They knew that all eyes would be on them. But, I mean, when it comes to Donald Trump and his behavior as a former president, we are without precedent, Anthony. We are. We just are. We're in different territory. And it rankles a lot of people to think about going through the closets of a former first lady. I mean, it's creepy, right? It feels really creepy because we like to think that the people that served in our highest office are deserving of tremendous respect and, you know, that we should approach them with tremendous respect and decorum and, 
How dare we accuse them of doing something illegal by rifling through their closets? The whole thing is is, is indifferent, unprecedented times. It is. You use the word, it is creepy, but in my opinion, there's a reason why it's creepy. But what I really want to mention is you brought up on Melissa Joe Franklin. You know, one night in the 80s, later, we were, um, I remember Footlight Records in the city. I don't know if you, I collect old music. Anyway, but which I, records? I used to go to Colony Records for sheet music. Which oh, which did you go to? Too. Yeah, there, Footlights. Oh, there, there was a few of them. Oh, anyway, Footlights! Yes, that? yes, yes. I do remember. Yes. Well, I bought a bunch of records, and but we were all over the place, and we ended up at Joe Franklin's restaurant, which he had in the late '80s, if you recall. Yeah, but I never was when there. He had his radio yeah. Well, I went there. The point was, I went there, and he was there, and you know, he was truly interested in every single album and book I bought. He, I bought. He sat with us. He was just a sweet guy, and he was so sweet. TV show, totally. And then he had the radio show later on. Oh yeah, but, but uh, the TV was, show on Channel Nine, W O R, and and you know if you were just flipping the channels in the days where you only had five or seven channels to flip through, you might see Joe Franklin sitting there with a with you know somebody from vaudeville, right, Anthony? Somebody yeah. from like vaudeville who would bring their hats and costumes and snakes, and you'd be like, what am I watching here? But you know it was the human parade, right? It was the human parade. It's, it's on YouTube now, by the way. Is it? Watch him on YouTube. Oh, uh, my I've been goodness. watching him on YouTube. Have you really? <laughs> anyway. Oh, oh, Anthony. Yeah, I like YouTube. You can watch everything old on YouTube. All these old shows that before our time, even, you know. Well, we're going to be doing something transformational on the Lisa Wexler Show. This is my ambition, my goal. I'm going to try and figure out a way to televise what we're doing some of the time, not every day, not all day, but some of the time there's, I I need to figure out a way to push us out a little bit, you know, on YouTube or, or a a television or something. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. It could take me forever. I could say it out loud. It could take a year before it happens, but I'm, I'm really, this is my goal for 2023. It's my goal. Well, that's nice goal. And I wish you a happy Thanksgiving. You too, Anthony. Have a happy Thanksgiving. We'll be right back with more of the Lisa Wexler Show. Stay tuned. If it's happening today, we're talking about it now. Join us, 203-333-9422. The Lisa Wexler Show, WICC 600 AM and 1073 FM. In a few minutes, we have the butterfly man, Victor DeMassi. Butterflies in my backyard is going to be what we chat about. And Angela of Mew Haven Cat Cafe in studio will also be joining us in the next hour. So we'll be talking about nature and surrounding us and all that good stuff. 203-333-9422. One of the biggest, one of the biggest debates uh, in our local RTM in Westport, Connecticut, has been whether or not to ban gas-powered leaf blowers. And it looks like Norwalk, the city of Norwalk, seems to be eager to get on track for that. Uh, It's an issue gaining momentum, according to the hour. Abigail Brone writes, six Norwalk residents spoke last week during the Common Council's Ordinance Committee meeting. They said they would support a local ban on gas-powered blowers. Just ban it. Just ban it the way they did in Larchmont. Like, not worry about two weeks a year and this and that. And just, just, it's done. Uh, Norwalk resident Betsy Wren said, it's like a male hobby to go out and blast everything. It's untenable. I feel like life isn't worth living. Why do we even have suburbs? I might as well go live at the airport at LaGuardia. Can you relate? Another resident, Michelle Sorensen, said she owns a landscaping company and that she has found alternatives to gas-powered machines. She said, I use hand tools, but if I do use a blower or a weed whacker, it's battery-powered. I'm able to care for properties from a quarter acre to an acre 
without using gas-powered equipment. And she says, I don't mow lawns, but I do take care of shrubs and flowers, flower beds and trees, and I use a handsaw for pruning. They talked about the negative effects the fumes have on their health and the disruption caused by the noise pollution. No drafted ordinance has been created yet in Norwalk, but they are going to continue the conversation at the committee's December meeting. And the article references Westport. It references the CDC, air pollution. It talks about the fact that this is really spreading. You know, it's one of these things. It's sort of like banning plastic bags. When I go down to Florida now and I go to Publix, it's shocking to me to see the single-use plastic bags in proliferation down there. I'm not used to it anymore. I'm used to what we do here in Connecticut, which is we've finally gotten into the habit of bringing our canvas bags in or buying some at checkout or, you know, doing like what they do at Costco, which is no bags whatsoever, just box and box and box and take the stuff home without being bagged. But in Florida, you go down to Publix and it's still all of these single-use plastic bags that end up going into your own garbage bag because most people use the bigger plastic bags to line their garbage bags, and they don't use those single-use plastic. Some people do, but most people don't. So it's just interesting to me how once something becomes a trend, they call it the tipping point, all of a sudden a society is willing to embrace it and do it. And it may be the same with these gas-powered leaf blowers. It may be that... Westport is taking its time trying to fashion something or other. Norwalk will come on top. Then we'll hear from maybe New Canaan and Darien and other communities who cannot stand. Because basically what you're talking about is invasion of quiet enjoyment. You know, there is a, there is a very, very longstanding common law precept, common law principle called the right of quiet enjoyment. It doesn't necessarily mean that something needs to be quiet. But the right of quiet enjoyment is one of the oldest property rights enshrined in our common law. And what it means is that you have the right to enjoy your private property without intrusive behavior from others. So the right of quiet enjoyment means that someone doesn't have the right to trespass on your property. The right of quiet enjoyment means that someone doesn't have the right to pollute your property. And the right of quiet enjoyment also means, also can be construed to mean, that quite literally the literal noise that intrudes with your quiet enjoyment of your property on a Saturday or Sunday is something that is so loud, is so beyond the decibel, is so unreasonable that as a matter of a civil right, collectively, A community says, you know what, we can't take it anymore. We get a Saturday or a Sunday. We look forward to being with our friends and family. We want to have quiet. We want to have peace and quiet. Otherwise, we would live under LaGuardia Airport, right? 203-333-9422. So that right of quiet enjoyment is quite literally being used, I think, for these glass-powered leaf blower. And by the way, I'm still torturing my own landscaper, who's an arborist, I've gotten him down. I told you I'm no longer doing all the leaf blowing in the fall. I'm going to do one. Uh, Next year I'm going to do it only in the front. But uh, he wanted to do two or three. I'm like, no, not happening. No, don't need it. It's good. The trees will survive without it. My grass will survive without it. And the leaves will decompose and it'll be good. But uh, also, also it's about the noise. And I've been asking him 
So do you have the battery powered yet? Are you ready? Are you ready? And he still maintains that the equipment is not there yet for him as a commercial landscaper. Now, other people say different, but he says he's been trying, and so far he can't keep the battery on long enough. So in other words, if he wants to spend four hours or five hours out on a job on a truck with his, with his men, uh, he can't make the battery last long enough. 203-333-9422. So, you know, before we do these sort of like unfunded mandates where we mandate people do something that they can't really accomplish, I think we need to be cognizant of the actual technology. 203-333-9422. Listen, have you been hearing about the O-O-O-Ozempic? Okay, if you watch TV, you know about Ozempic. And... The fact that this drug is one of four different drugs with semiglutide, which is this relatively new substance created by Novo Nordisk, which is a Danish corporation. And these substances are allowed by our FDA to be used. Wagovi is for weight loss and Ozempic is for diabetes. But Ozempic is also extremely effective for weight loss because uh, Saxenda, Victroza, Wagovi and Ozempic all contain this semi-glutide medicine. And it makes you a little nauseous. It can affect your tummy both ways. But it is apparently very effective at curbing people's appetite and ultimately having them lose weight, significant weight. Elon Musk was bragging about it. A lot of celebrities are bragging about it. Well, as a result of everybody bragging about it, there's a shortage of it. And it's becoming a problem. The Hartford Current, Ed Stannard, reporting that while everybody else is trying to lose weight from Ozempic, the people that already have type 2 diabetes can't get enough of their drug. So they expect the shortage to last another month or two. But, you know, there was a huge study. There was actually a tremendous um, conference that just concluded in England And all of these hundreds from all over the world, people came to talk about obesity. They were obesity specialists from science and medicine. And their conclusion was that they still don't understand. They really don't, and they can't really explain without explaining a combination of factors, which is what I think it is, why 40% of America is now officially obese. Did you know that? 44 out of 10 Americans? Well, if you go to an amusement park, you can see it. Four out of 10 Americans are officially obese. Not fat, not overweight. Overweight is 10% above recommended body weight. Obesity is 20. And we have a huge problem. It costs us so many billion dollars a year to address the problem of obesity. Not to mention the other billions of dollars a year spent peddling solutions to the problem of obesity. But all of these doctors and scientists in England came away with a conclusion that we really don't know much about it. And one of the things they did conclude was that it is not simply a matter of willpower, that that's sort of a joke. Um, it is a matter of metabolism. Many people in the audience of, of scientists and scholars concluded that it is the environmental uh, poisons that we have in, introduced into our food chain and supply that are causing us to not be satiated properly, So in other words, when we eat the foods that are made with a bunch of junk, when we eat our processed turkey meat and our processed ham and our Doritos 
and, and things in restaurants with way too much salt. When we eat food like that, it is interfering with our ability to actually feel satisfied, to feel satiated. Uh, but then I think that there is the other factor, which is that we are simply a much more sedentary society. We just sit a lot more. When you look at the data about how often people are spending on their screens, okay, they're not running in place while they're watching their computer or phone. They're sitting. They're attending. They're sitting. They're watching. They're spectating. All that time that we now spend on screen time, we used to spend walking around. We did. Maybe some of it we spent sitting and reading a book, but not that much. We used to move a lot more. And I think that that's what it is, too. I think it's activity and food. It's a multi-combinational thing, but just fascinating to me. So we've got this ozempic shortage. Hopefully, Novo Nordisk will be able to make it up soon because we don't want people with diabetes not being able to get their drugs. But the reality is that if you're obese, if you're overweight, and this drug helps you, it is also, it is also, it should be covered by insurance as the key to prevention of other further health consequences, including getting diabetes. So if this drug really works to do this, you know, it seems to me like it would be a good thing. 203-333-9422. And full disclosure, full disclosure, Novo Nordisk is a publicly traded company. And when Ozempic first came out, not when it first came out, when I first heard about it, not when it first came out, I bought a few shares. I did. You know, it's been a good stock. NVO, Danish company. Interesting. You can look it up. Go look it up. It's publicly traded. I'm not shilling for it by any means. It isn't what I do. But if I'm going to tell you that a product is good, I'm also going to tell you if I own the company that makes it. That's what I do. 203-333-9422. I don't own the company. I own a few shares. What are we kidding? We'll be right back. Where Bridgeport comes first for news and talk. The Lisa Wexler Show on WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. And welcome back to the show. It's the birds and the bees, the flowers and the trees. Joining us right now in studio is Victor DeMassi, who was an extremely active member of the Pollinator Pathway, something you and I have spoken about for years now. He was a wetland conservation officer in his hometown of Reading for 20 years. He currently is a curatorial affiliate at the Yale Peabody Museum of Natural History in New Haven. One of his passions is to preserve open space in town and preserve butterflies in the museum. His butterflies and his collection of butterflies have been sighted in many, many places. He and his wife, a photographer, have been to the Amazon forest in Guiana, Nicaragua, Nicaragua, and they've done yearly studies in a region of California that assesses the impact of climate change there. Uh, If you're lucky, you can take a walk through his own pollinator meadow here in Fairfield County in Reading. Victor DeMassi, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show, and good morning. Well, thank thank you for having me on, Lisa, and... uh you know, as a bug man, we don't get a lot of dates. Um, I had <laughs> trouble getting them in college, you know. Oh, you're the second bug man we've had on the show this week. We had Douglas Tallamy on last week. Oh, yeah. Do you know his work? Oh, of course I do, yes. And I think he's uh, doing a great job. Amazing. Waking people up to stuff. and uh, That oak that oak tree book is yeah, phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're trying to do the Doug Tallamy on a small scale in Good. Reading. Uh, yeah. We're... We've got a two-acre meadow, which my wife, Rowanna, has really uh, commandeered the preservation of. And we have uh, located over the 45 years we lived there about 
uh, half the state fauna of butterflies. So it's a very rich area. Several very rare butterflies occur there. And um, I happened upon the house years ago when I was first getting married. And I was a refugee from Stanford. And we were all moving to Reading. And uh, a, a real estate agent, Marilyn Sloper, took me around all day looking at houses to rent. And she was getting a little uh, little hot under the collar when she didn't get any hits. And she finally said, well, Victor, I have one that's a a real dog, but it just might be right for you. And <laughs> I, I drove up the driveway and saw that two-acre meadow in the back, and I've been there 45 years. So has it always been a meadow? Yes. Yeah, and it, what is a meadow? Well, a meadow, It's this is hard to uh, really describe in Connecticut. Uh, the, the state was so heavily cleared about 90% during uh, pre-colonial times and uh, these areas blew, grew back as the uh, state was deserted for western uh, areas. And um, these open areas persisted, which are called meadows. Yeah, because they don't have big trees in them? Is yes, that the right. Difference? They're completely open. They're open. They're and open. they're beautiful. They're they are. So and beautiful. they're not lawns. They're not no, lawns. No, they're not lawns. That's the difference. There is a, you know... Um, aspect of wildness yes and just letting it happen now ours was a um, it was a deserted uh, uh, apple orchard and the stuff came in and now there's lots of goldenrod and all sorts of uh, native flowers black-eyed susans and uh, the, there are black-eyed susans which is a, daisies a tremendous yeah we have daisies we have turtle head which is a wonderful rare plant in connecticut all sorts of asters we changed, um, we used to mow it every October to keep the woody growth down, and we changed that now. And uh, in the last few years, we didn't, don't do any mowing, it's just hand weeding. And asters, uh, fall asters, are just making a huge comeback. They're all over the place. But you're not getting little oak trees and things that might take over the meadow? We. Oak trees, and Doug Tallamy, I hope you're not listening to this, uh, oak trees come out. We do get you do. seedlings. Well, because you want to preserve the meadow. Yeah, no, we want to open yeah. meadow. I mean, Doug would yeah. understand that 100%. Yes, 100%. Yeah. So, um, and yeah. what kind of insects, well, tell me about butterflies. Do butterflies love meadows? Well, uh, they do. Uh, butterflies uh, need two things to live. They need a food plant, like the monarchs feed only on uh, milkweeds. Milkweed. And, right. uh, I got to plant some. Yeah, all the other. Well, I have seeds, Lisa, so if you contact me, I will okay. give you native seeds. Really? Because we want to have native uh, seeds to uh, Connecticut. Okay. Uh, Do I bury them or just spread them? Uh, you should start them in pots. Uh, oh. I start, I mean, my favorite method is I start them in small pots and I bury them under my leaf pile uh, starting maybe December. Wow. And uh, some of them, a lot of them will germinate that way and... Uh, you know, then you grow them in pots maybe the first season, and then after that you can uh, transplant them. But I wouldn't try direct ground sowing uh, the unless you have a huge amount of seeds. Uh, because otherwise they'll be eaten, They're right? really tasty. They're the, tasty. The, I mean, even when we stored them in the barn in the few, first few years, we were collecting them. The mice would get in and oh, yeah. just go- not interested. gobble. Yeah, yeah, not interested just in gobble. more food for the mice. Right, no, right. Mice are doing well. Not <laughs> <laughs> interested. We're chatting with Victor DeMassey. If you got a question about butterflies, 203-333-9422. So tell us. So the butterfly needs food, milkweed, okay? Yep. And uh, the adult butterfly needs nectar. 
So you have things like the tiger swallowtail, big yellow and black swallowtail butterfly, one of our big ones. Uh, you know, monarch gets all the attention, but the swallowtails are really wonderful. And the the tiger swallowtail, the caterpillars feed on um, tulip tree and and uh, black cherry, which are basically forest trees. Okay. But they come into the meadow to to nectar. So you have the two things. You need the forest and you need the meadow if you want to have a healthy population. And the nectar is, you're saying, the bees with the asters and everything else in the meadow? The the tiger swallowtails, they like all the milkweeds for nectar. The the swallowtail... Oh, they go right into the milkweed to to eat it. No, to to feed it the flowers. Okay. They take uh, nectar and they take... uh, and, And they become pollinators... Not because they want to be, but they just happen to brush up on the pollen. And as they're going around stealing nectar from all the flowers, they transfer the uh, the pollen from the one pollen. to another. So they're passive. They're passive uh, pollinators. Uh, things like bees are active pollinators. They have special adaptations yeah, on job. their body. That's, yeah, that's their, their job. job. That's, that's their, job. their job. So, Victor Jamassi, when I was a kid, I read that the life cycle of a butterfly is six days. Is that true? I don't even know how to answer that. And you, you take the monarch. Monarch takes um, about six weeks to develop from egg to adult. Right, but I mean, then, once they're an adult, once what, they're a butterfly. Well, once they're a butterfly, it's a tough place out there. Things like tiger swallowtails, if they live a week, they're lucky. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I heard about six days. That's yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah, well, that's uh, in that context. That's uh, what you're I mean. Absolutely right. They're, yes. they're just bird food. So is uh, that right? Yeah, the birds are chasing them. The birds and, eat the yeah. butterflies. Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, I um, did a mark recapture for uh, twenty three years. You go out and you capture the butterfly, and then you mark it somehow with a number. You in could this do. Game. You could mark a butterfly. You write a number on it, and and near your swallowtail flies by, and it's number three twenty three, and you have a record of that butterfly, and you can figure out how long it's been around. And you can also look at the wings and see if there's any damage. So you can gauge if the birds have tried to eat it, but it got away. But how do you know? How you how likely are you to ever see that butterfly again? Uh, you're likely about 30%. Really? Yeah, I got about 30% recaptures on about 7,000 butterflies over 23 years. It's one of the longest studies, uh, field studies of uh of insects there is that you've done Victor yes I, yes i did it i did it lisa and you don't do do you do this for money or for passion no, and I love did as that a true for, naturist for, i just did that for for passion for passion i love yeah and it yeah. worked well with my uh, butterflies i'm a, i've been a, i took a degree in zoology but uh i started painting for my mother when i got back from the peace corps in ethiopia and other people started asking me, and, uh, and before I knew it, I had a paint company with employees, and then we started doing decorative artwork. And so that's uh, how you make a living. That's how I made a living. I'm okay, retired now, okay. but uh, we did. We traveled all over the United States, worked for National Park Service, historic restoration, and butterfly murals were my specialty. And if you drive by my house in Reading, you'll know it right away because there's. Butterflies painted on it, huge butterflies. On your house? On my house. And my wife, after the last one, she said, okay, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> did you do the painting, like the actual yeah, painting? Yeah, I did. I did. 
I did it. It's all, you know, huge monarch, the monarch uh, on the It bar. must be very cool. It's, it's I, a lot You know, of fun. off air, you're going to have to give me your address. Okay. I'm going to have to go by, because I don't live far from, I'm on the Wilton border of uh, Westport, right yes. off 33. Oh, okay. I'm 20 minutes from Reading. I, okay. You know where I go a lot, which I love, I don't go enough, is that gorgeous state park up there. The hunting, hunting oh Huntington. We do a lot of hiking, I and love it uh, there. that's we're, we're there all the time. What a gorgeous place that is, and the horses are there, and right. everything. Right, no, Just it's gorgeous. it's wonderful. That has an interesting history too with Anaheim, Huntington, the sculptor, and everything. So you're going to tell me about that, Victor Damasi on the Lisa Wexler show. We're talking butterflies, birds, meadows, nature. We've got a true expert, a true expert naturist on with us at two zero three 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 nine four two two. If you'd like to give us a call. Got called into a meeting and you missed something? Grab the podcast at WICC600.com. The Lisa Wexler Show is back on WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. Victor Damasi joins us. He is an expert on the pollinator pathway on butterflies. He's collected thousands of specimens and marked them. He's explored the world and contributed to our natural and national parks, and uh, he lives right here in Reading, where his house is apparently uh, beautifully painted with butterflies, and I haven't seen it, so I need to go see it. Victor DeMassey, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Lisa, for having me. 203-333-9422 is our number. You can call me at 203-333-9422. So explain to us, what is the pollinator pathway and how can we be a part of it? Well, the pollinator pathway is an idea uh, uh, started by Louise Washer, a wonderful person uh, from Wilton, uh, to restore native uh, habitats and, and promote native flowers, which we're losing at an alarming rate. And uh, it's important also because the flowers promote the pollinating insects, which uh, are just declining inexplicably for several reasons, actually, we suspect. And we want to bring them back. And um, healthy insect populations also mean healthy bird populations. And we've lost so many birds. We have lost so many birds, and especially the insect-eating birds are really suffering because the insects are declining. So we have broad uh, declines over um, insect groups. And um, one of the things, uh, traditional studies of, uh, of pollinating insects did not really, the, 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 they're in collections and stuff like the Museum of Natural History, but they're not, we didn't know what flower they were collected at. So uh, one of our modern uh, things that we want to do is make that right and figure out what's pollinating what. Mm. For instance, you take things like the uh, uh, monardas, the uh, bee bombs. They have very deep flowers, and only the spice bush swallowtails and hummingbirds visit them, and they're doing You mean the like those lemon bomb bushes that we they're, have? They're, no, they're red. They're, they're waist-high, floral, red strikingly red uh like the burning tree ones in the fall the ones that turn red no no these are just garden flowers okay and and bee bomb bee bomb i don't know it okay yeah it's very uh nice and but promotes only certain pollinators i see so we're looking at you know our our meadow and we're trying to connect the insect with the flower I because see. this information it does not really exist the people who work traditionally on pollinating insects didn't record much so about so you're doing that we're trying to do that what and should we one lawn at a time victor Damasi? what should we be what should we have 
What what simple few necessities should we all have on our little bit of an eighth acre, quarter acre, one acre, two acres to promote the pollinator pathway? Well, this is uh, a wonderful question, Lisa, and I see it happening. Uh, one of the things is what I call let it grow, which is just letting your lawn go till the first week of July. And, oh, uh, you want it till the first week of July? Yeah, because I, I I'm doing no mow May. You want me to do no mow May I and go, June? I go the first of July, and uh, Interesting. I, I um, uh, the picture of my lawn is often on Pollinator Pathway website uh, and and announcements. Um, what I found, and because I'm I'm keen on the pollinators, is a tremendous return of insects to my front lawn. And these are all going into the Peabody Museum. I'm not all of them, but I've made a sample of them, and they're going in as a reference collection. So, and you're seeing a lot of really interesting uh, insects come back. Things like bumblebees are on my front lawn. Of uh, the metallic bees, which are absolutely striking, if you can turn your scale down a little bit and appreciate small things. Uh, so, are they and, likely to sting us, Victor? Uh, the solitary bees are not likely to sting. In fact, all bees are unlikely to sting when they're at uh, their pollinate uh, when they're out doing their pollinating. Yeah, they're busy. M- most insects that st- most hymenoptera, this is the name of the group, most hymenoptera that sting are when you're around their home, their hive, mm-hmm. their place like that. You know, the, if you don't really disturb them when they're out of flowers, they're very easy to observe and they're not really aggressive. So, What about the, wasps? Uh, wasps are will not really generally attack unless you're near their place where okay. they're where they're are nesting. they a useful insect at all they're pollinators are uh, they yeah they are pollinators. i don't like wasps many wasps control also noxious uh, insect groups by taking the insects and using them as food for so their, they eat mosquitoes and things uh i am having trouble answering that i don't really know if they've taken a lot of mosquitoes from wasp you know the the uh potter wasps and the paper wasps i don't i don't know if they're finding mosquitoes. But mosquitoes are one of the really interesting uh, groups in the sense that uh, I do a lot of uh, displays. Like recently, I was up at the Inland Wetland um, meeting in uh, in New Haven. Uh, and, and one of the things that really astounds people talking about pollinators is that mosquitoes are pollinators. And male mosquitoes don't take blood. They only take pollen. So, uh, and there's, and the, we have a... Um, you know, in other words, male mosquitoes are not going to bite us. Only no, females are. Only females, isn't that typical? You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Shouldn't be saying that That's on the radio. All right. But the That's males, fine. the males take uh, uh, pollen and uh, nectar as a food source, and they, uh, you know, not meaning to, but they inadvertently pollinate plants as they go around from flower to flower. Wow. So this is a biology that, you know, a lot of people are um, not aware of. So let me go back because we only have a few minutes, Victor DeMassey. So one lawn at a time. First, it starts for you with not mowing. Right. You don't want us to mow. Right. If there were a couple of bushes that we were going to be planting anyway that would be more helpful what would they be? Well, I like uh, lilacs. If you're lilacs, doing I have a lilac tree. Yeah, I'm good. Th- those are good, good shrubs. And the thing I like about lilacs is they provide spring nectar. Okay. Uh, usually about the end of May, early June, they're uh, in full bloom, and, and they, they smell good. They smell good, and they're beautiful. They're they absolutely beautiful. So uh, lilacs are a good uh, spring okay. plant. Uh, um, some of the mint family. 
are good. I love mint. Pollinator Pathway offers a really detailed breakdown of plants that you could, uh, you know, use to promote this. And uh, when the pandemic started, we were, you know, of course, faced with the idea of being stuck inside or not being able to do anything. So we started a survey of uh, with a young biologist, Sammy Riccio. Uh, we started doing a pollinator survey in Reading at the Highstead Arboretum and on our meadow. And we went out every week and collected every single insect we could find at flowers. Not every, you know, but mostly and uh, those collections are going to the Peabody, so they are, you know, yardsticks of what a meadow might have now, uh, you know, 2022 in Reading, Connecticut. So those might, someday, they will probably be very valuable collections someday as a reference. Victor Jamassi, do you think that nature will respond relatively quickly to our trying to reverse some of our damage i think it will because you look at things like the um you know the 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 uh osprey mm. we stopped with the ddt and they came back there and eagles are eagles, booming so nature i think is resilient something's going to come to fill in the hole and i think uh, my main concern is pesticides i'm really worried about the indiscriminate use of pesticides me too i ask virtually every single politician on the radio with me here on wicc what are you going to do about pesticides right and i get the humana humana hominis yeah yeah well you have big uh lobbying groups there uh pushing pesticides the the disturbing thing about pesticides lisa is we only started recently using them in our lifetime they became ubiquitous not before. Look at all the hormonal disturbances. Right. Uh, we could go Please. on. We could go on for a long time. But one thing we did, Lisa, uh, I just want to maybe bring this up real quick. Uh, for 27 years in Reading, every year we went around and we, on the 4th of July, or near the 4th of July, we counted all the butterflies we could find. And this is called the uh, 4th of July butterfly count, and it's done nationwide. Now... 27 years later, we have a yardstick what butterflies are doing every year in Reading. And we've noted some that we've lost. We've noted some that we've actually Nationwide, gained. it's been terrible. Right, right. How's well, Reading doing? Uh, Reading is in decline, but it's not as uh, precipitous as uh, other places are experiencing. And as I said, we do have some new additions because we get uh, maybe you want to say warmer climate butterflies are mm-hmm. moving in they're adapting so for a biologist of course that's very interesting i mean i still go out in my backyard and find lots of interesting things to keep me uh busy so um and keeps me from despair actually so uh but think about the osprey osprey came back i think we can make the rest of it come back yeah, we have to be optimistic, right? We do. We do. We do. I mean, I hear about a billion birds disappearing from the planet since the 70s. I want to break my heart. It is. And a lot of it is night lighting. A lot yeah. of it is Not night well, lighting. Night lighting is another issue. Uh, you know, we could also, there's a whole bunch of uh, interlocking issues uh, going on here. Uh, asphalt, night lighting, uh, lawning. The lawning in, in Redding in the 40 years that I've lived there is amazing. Lawning you know, as a verb. I've never heard it as a verb, a verb before. It's a verb. It's now a verb. Okay. It's now a verb, All Lisa. All right, Victor DeMassi, thank you very much for joining us today. Happy Thanksgiving. And same to you, Lisa. Thanks. We'll be right back with more of the Lisa Wexer Show. Stay tuned. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com. 